0: This is your host, Nick Riley, and you're listening to the One Day Advice Podcast. Together, we're going to take a ride inside the world of personal finance. I'm going to give you a fully transparent, behind-the-scenes look into the financial services industry, helping you to optimize your financial life along the way. Today, we're going to be talking about timing the market versus time in the market. And It's a timely subject, uh, pun intended, because today marks the, at least when I'm recording this on March 16th, marks the one-year anniversary of the uh, second-largest drop in the S&P 500 uh, when it fell 12% this uh, past year in 2020. I want to clarify that it's the second-largest single-day drop in the S&P 500. And we've all had a crazy previous year. Uh, we're still you know, wearing masks and all that for uh, the COVID-19 virus. But ultimately, the stock market has rebounded uh, significantly. And just want to throw a few numbers out there for you. But since the dip... Uh, let's call it the dip last year, uh, around March of, of 2020, investors have added $40 trillion to the value of global stocks. The healthcare and technology sectors alone, which accounted for a third of global equity market cap, uh, now accounts for 42%. Uh, so you can see some trends there. And from the peak of the market, in February of 2020 to now, uh, if you had invested at the peak, you'd still be up 17%. And that's not even counting dividends. If you invested at the bottom of the market, you'd be up 65%, but you'd have to be timing the market just right. And we all know how hard and difficult that actually is. So considering that the average annual return of the S&P 500, depending on how far back you go, is between 8 to 10% annually. You know, 17% is a very, very good number. And that is if you invested all of your money at the peak of the market in February of 2020 and kept it uh, until today. So that return is really good uh, compared to the average annualized returns. So uh, it just goes to show that you know, timing the market is, is very difficult. And the more important factor, which we're going to be talking about today, and we're going to be discussing some of the data behind that, is about your time in the market. So Charlie Munger, one of, uh, I would say, Warren Buffett's best friends uh, and business partners, has said that the first rule of compounding is to never interrupt it unnecessarily. The reason why Warren Buffett has been so successful is because he keeps doing the same thing for decades on end. Uh, He's letting, he's let compounding run wild. And many of us evolve so much over a lifetime that we just grow so impatient and we want to chase returns. And, and because of our impatience, we oftentimes miss out on the greatest benefit uh, in and of itself, which is the time that we have to invest and keep our money uh, compounding for us. And I don't know if many of the listeners know that, that Warren Buffett didn't start making huge money until he hit his 50s and i guess huge huge money is all relative uh but the fact is that that 9 over 99.7% of his wealth has been earned after his 52nd birthday I'll let that soak in so he is now worth about 100 billion dollars and 99.7% or more of his wealth was accumulated after the age of 52 and keep in mind, Warren Buffett started at a very young age. He started around 11 years old, investing in stocks. He made his first million at age 30. So uh, not, you know, not the perfect comparison for, for many of us because most of us don't want to be billionaires. Uh, we want to have enough money to be happy and, and be able to provide for our, our, our main living expenses, provide for our needs, but also be able to provide for some of the wants that we want in life. And it's important to note that that his, Warren Buffett's approach has not changed. He's just uh, continually invested in the market, and time has been his greatest ally in accumulating his wealth. So to drive this point home a little bit further, I, I'm going to go through some data points. And I know in a podcast, sometimes it's hard to visualize some of these data points, but uh, I'll, I'll try to do my best. So one key aspect is that the average investor barely beats inflation. And I know JP Morgan, I follow JP Morgan's uh, data on this topic. Uh, they release it every, every month or so. Uh, but over the last uh, about 20 years, uh, you would have been better off, the average investor would have been better off investing in anything besides cash and achieved a greater return than what they actually returned in their own portfolios. So they could have literally invested in anything, any single asset class and done better than they did the past 20 years. And the average investor barely beat inflation by 0.3%. So uh, that goes to tell you that, that what people are doing, uh, they aren't actually investing in the stock market as a whole and staying invested, or they, they aren't staying in a single asset class. They're chasing returns. And to chase returns, they will often you know, move funds into the highest rated mutual funds, uh, also known as five-star funds. Despite knowing very well that past performance is no guarantee of future results, we all know this, but we do it anyways. We we know this, but we still chase returns. It's it's FOMO on returns, the fear of missing out on returns. The truth is, studies have shown that these inv- these same investors would have been better off investing in one star or two star mutual funds as a whole instead of five star funds, and. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty ironic that people are chasing returns that have already happened. And, uh, you know, it's, it's easy. It's an easy mistake to make. And the key here is consistency. So don't chase returns. It's all about keeping your money invested consistently over time. Another data point is that over the last 40 years, the average intra-year decline in the S&P 500, which is kind of the overarching uh, stock market that we might reference. It's the best metric for uh, measuring the overall returns of the market. Uh, so the average intra-year decline in the S&P 500 has been 14.3% over the last 40 years. So what that is saying is that in each of those years over the past 40 years the S&P 500 has dropped on average 14.3% at any point in time during that year. However, the average annual return over the same time frame was 9%. So the average return was 9% yield, uh, yield that that investors got if they stayed invested. Uh, and that is despite having a drop, an average drop every year of around 14.3%. And attack to on top of that is that 31 of those 41 years resulted in positive returns. So another key factor here is just knowing that over time, you know, stocks can return positive returns despite all the volatility and volatility is essentially the ups and downs in the market. So stocks uh, are very volatile and that is why they demand a much higher return for investors. And in looking at 2020 by itself just for the the calendar year, it returned 16% to investors. And that was despite the 34% drop that was experienced last February, March time frame. So I think at this point, you're starting to see a trend here. And, you know, lastly, I want to bring up another point. So we are going to talk about the easiest way to reduce risk and volatility. And I think you already know the answer to this. Uh, so it's probably not going to surprise you, but the answer is time. The easiest way to reduce risk and volatility is simply time. Over longer time periods, you're less likely to experience negative returns, even in volatile investments like stocks. And here are a couple more data points for you to visualize. When looking at rolling period returns data from 1926 to 2018, one-year rolling periods ended positive of approximately 75% of the time. So in any given one-year rolling period, uh, there was a 75% likelihood that your portfolio would end positive. Over a five-year rolling period, that same likelihood uh, moved to 87%. So it increased by 12% and take it one step further, over a 10-year rolling period, the stock market returns return positive 95% of the time. And you know what does this mean? It, it means you simply can't afford to be letting your cash get slowly eaten away by inflation. Yes, if you have planned expenses coming up, it takes some careful planning. And that is why many financial planners will determine. That funds that are meant to be used towards any large anticipated expenses within the next five years should be kept in cash. Uh, but that oftentimes doesn't consider the fact that you'll be contributing to savings and building up cash along the way. So uh, that cash that you have sitting in your account right now might not specifically be used for that future anticipated expense that you have over the next one to five years. So. Uh, the point is that cash should be put to work, and uh, you can do so in a strategic way. of Of and that's why it's so important to understand what money you have coming in and what money you have going out, and that allows you to really figure out your savings rate, which allows you to project how much savings you will have uh, in six months, in a, a year's time frame. In order to pay for the down payment for the home, to buy a car, uh, for any of those short-term uh, financial goals, it's important to know your cash flow so you can anticipate the type of or the amount of cash that you'll have on hand to fulfill those those short-term financial goals, but also fund your lifestyle and any uh, emergency situation. That's why it's so important to have an emergency fund uh, if you lose your job. Uh, if you get hurt and can't work, uh, being able to have funds on hand to be able to uh, continue at your current lifestyle. And that will also depend on on whether you have a dual income household versus a single income household, uh, whether you have dependents or not. Uh, those are all factors that, that come into play when considering how much of your cash should be held on hand at any given point in time and how much of your assets should be invested so hopefully this is helpful for you guys and i know it's sometimes hard to visual uh, visualize the numbers and and things that i'm i'm mentioning when it comes to data points through a podcast but uh hopefully i can i can put this into video form uh here shortly as well so uh point is from all this uh focus on your time in the market and not timing the market and that will lead to your greatest investment success in the long term so hopefully this was helpful and i'll look forward to uh, the next episode together hi i'm nick riley the founder of one day advice if you like what you've heard we'd greatly appreciate your help in spreading the word after all we are financial educators not marketers Thanks for listening, and remember to leave us a review. Nick Riley is the founder of One Day Advice, an independent, fiduciary, and fee-only registered investment advisor. Nick serves as a wealth advisor and educator to his clients. All opinions expressed by Nick and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of One Day Advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment or financial decisions.